Good to see you. If you are a guest here today, as we are taking up our offering, we just want to welcome you. Also give you an opportunity to connect with us. Uh, You'll find on the screen an opportunity for you to text the word guest. And as you text that, you will uh, receive just a a connection card, a digital connection card. It'll give you an opportunity to uh, find out a little bit more about us and figure out some of the ways that we can serve you and care for you. Uh, We're delighted that you are here. If you are one of our uh, faithful attendees, one of our partners here, we're grateful to see you as well. We're looking forward to our time in God's Word together. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 41 through 43 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 41 through 43. You can stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. This is God's word to us this morning. Then Moses set aside three cities east of the Jordan to which anyone who had killed a person could flee if they had unintentionally killed a neighbor without malice aforethought. They could flee into one of these cities and save their lives. The cities were these, Bezer in the wilderness plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Galan and Bashan for the Manassehites. Maybe seated as we go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon the study of this word this morning. Father, be with us. Lord, help us to hear what we need to hear from your glorious word. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' holy name that we ask and pray. Amen. Well, years ago, there was a man was cutting down an oak tree, specifically, I believe it was a Tabor oak tree in a forest. Brought his friend, his neighbor with him, and they were working on cutting this large tree. Now, this was during the times when uh, they weren't using chainsaws or even the more advanced uh, saws that you had, two-person saws. They were using an axe. So this is a large Tabor oak tree, and they were working on it, and you can imagine it took quite some time to get this tree actually uh, cut down. The man and his neighbor took turns chopping, resting. So at the end of the day, the job was almost over, and uh, the, the main person, the man in this story, he tells his neighbor, hey, you just go sit over there. I'm going to finish it off. I don't know. Maybe it was the type of thing where, you know, you bring somebody out there, but you're the one that wants to have the final shot at it so you can feel like, hey, I'm the one that cut it down. And as the man went to take a swipe at this large Tabor Oak tree, he slipped. And as he slipped, instead of the axe head hitting the tree, what happened was the wooden shaft of the axe hit the tree, and then the axe head went flying in the direction of his neighbor. And before he could say anything to his neighbor, like, watch out, look out, the axe head hit the neighbor in the temple. Went unconscious, started bleeding profusely. And so the man who had slipped and had hit the tree's base and it accidentally struck his friend with the axe head. He immediately bandaged the man, his neighbor, up with his own shirt and he picked him up to carry him into town for medical care. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where there's an emergency like that, obviously, even when it's a short drive, it feels like an eternity, right? 
Everything is passing very quickly as you're thinking about um, how you're going to get there quickly. So he gets to the medical help, and the doctor and the medical team take him in, take, take his neighbor in. So the friend, or the man that we're talking about, who had accidentally struck his neighbor, he's sitting outside the medical clinic, and he's, and he's worried, he's thinking about his friend. And then eventually, the, man's, uh, the, the neighbor's friends show up and go, hey, how's he doing? I haven't heard anything from the doctor yet. So they're sitting out there, seconds turn into minutes, minutes turn into hours, and then finally, the doctor comes out. And as the doctor comes out, you, you could tell from the look on his face, this, this, was not, this was not good news. He walks out and he says, look, we, we, did, we did everything that we could do. We couldn't stop the bleeding and, and he's gone. So the man who had taken his neighbor to chop down the Tabor oak tree into the forest begins to weep, and the family begins to wail. And for a moment, it's just a large, large gathering of very sorrowful, hurting people. And then after about 10 minutes of that, the brother of the man who had died, looked at the man that took him into the woods to cut down the tree. And through the tears, he looks at him and he says, this is all your fault. You deserve to die. Not my brother. It's not my brother that should have been dead. It should be you that's dead. And the wife of the man that died begins to calm the man down saying, Look, look, look. And he says, don't, don't shush me. Don't tell me to be quiet. My brother's dead. He's dead because of that man. Then eventually what happens is, as you can imagine, the man who had accidentally killed his friend says, I, I probably need to leave. And so he begins to leave the gathering of the family. And as he's leaving the gathering of the family, you know, he feels, he feels awful. And he's just walking away. He hears the brother of the man say, you're going to pay for this. You are going to pay for what you've done. Rattled, the man goes home, terrified at the threat of mob justice that he might face. See, he lived in a land that's a little bit different than Ireland. He lived in a land where... He could be killed by the relative of someone that he had killed in order to avenge the relative's death with impunity. If the neighbor's brother decided to avenge his death, the man who killed him, even though it was an accident, he would have to flee. He would have to find some place of refuge. He would have to get out of the line of fire. The question is, where do you go? Where do you go in in a land where you could be killed for an accident and the person that killed you gets off with it because an eye for an eye? Because you had accidentally taken life, someone was going to take your life. So here's what's interesting. In this particular area that lived by these rules, 
There were three, pace, three places that this particular man could go. The man that had taken his friend to cut down a tree and then accidentally killed him. There were three places that he could go for refuge from this avenger. In fact, these areas were often called cities of refuge. He lived on the east side, so it meant that he had really uh, about three options. But because he was a descendant of a particular family, he had to go to a place called Bezer, which was for people that had descended from a man by the name of Reuben. Those that were of the tribe of Gad or those who were of the tribe of Manasseh, they could go to other areas. They could go to Ramoth Gilead or they could go to Golan and Bashan. But since this man was part of Reuben, he would have to go to Bezer if he wanted to escape the vengeance of his neighbor's brother. See, these are the three areas that Moses had prepared in situations just like this on the east side of the Jordan River prior to dying himself. In fact, we read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 41 through 43. If this man was caught outside of Bezer, this is the city refuge, he could be killed before his trial. But as Deuteronomy chapter 4, 41 through 43 tells us and taught this people, Their lives could be saved if they fled to the city of refuge that God had appointed Moses to set aside as a provision for his people. In the case of the man in our story, he fled to Bezer to escape the revenge of his neighbor's family. So what was it about these cities of refuge that would provide him such protection if this brother was going to do what he said he was going to do and not allow him to get away with it? Well, for starters, here's what we know about these cities of refuge. They belong to the people we call Levites, the priestly tribe of Israel. Thus, these were sacred places set aside by God, and they often be accompanied by an altar of sacrifice. So there were Levitical priests there, and there were altars there. Now, some of you may be somewhat familiar with this. You've heard the idea of sanctuary or a sanctuary. We see this in places like 1 Kings chapter 1, 50-53, where um, Adonijah, who is a relative of Solomon, Solomon is going to become king. Adonijah finds out that uh, he's going to become king. And he's like, he's not going to be happy with everything that I've done. So I need to find a place to flee. So Adonijah, he runs and he takes hold of the horns of the altar. He says, I'm not going to let go until I know that Solomon's not going to kill me. He sought sanctuary in this area with an altar and a priest. And so we kind of have that type of category for what we see our friend going through in our story. So what's happening is he's having to find a place where he can be protected long enough until he can have a trial. So with an altar and a Levitical priest present serving the Lord, people sought the Lord to be their refuge. Now, how many times have you read in the book of Psalms or you've heard the Lord spoken of as a refuge? He's identified as the refuge of his people in places like Psalm 17, 8 and Psalm 59, 17. Thus, as these people were fleeing to cities of refuge and they were going to take hold of the horns of the altar and ask the priest, would you protect me from this person who's going to try to kill me? They were finding refuge in the shadow of the wings of the Lord. They were looking to him to protect them, recognizing that only God could protect them and defend them. 
So we go back to our story, the man in our story. He flees to the Levites and to their altar in Bezer, seeking sanctuary in order that he might not die at the hands of his neighbor's avenger. And there he's going to wait until the day of his trial. So you're probably thinking in your mind, well, obviously he didn't mean to do this. Now, this is an example of someone recklessly driving through a neighborhood, texting on their phone. This is somebody, he, 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 he was a woodworker. He was going to use the wood from the table oak that he broke down, or he, he cut down. He was going to use it to help build a house for his daughter and some furniture for his neighbor. It's one of the reasons why the neighbor came along. So you're thinking, surely they're going to walk in front of uh, the trial of the assembly, and the assembly's going to say, look, I know this is tragic, but, but he didn't mean, he didn't mean to do it, right? So the day of the trial comes and the elders of the city and the Levitical priests come together and they determine based upon the evidence the man was in fact not guilty of intentional murder and he should not be put to death. Obviously, if you're that man, right, you're relieved. You're sorrowful over the fact that you have accidentally killed your friend but you recognize, I did not do anything with malice. He's relieved. But the family of the neighbor who had died understood as the whole culture understood. An eye for an eye still exists. The death of a neighbor could not simply be forgotten as if life was not valuable. This culture valued life. And so what would happen? The man who was not guilty of murder, who had unintentionally killed his neighbor, while he will not be put to death, he is forced to live the rest of his life in the city of refuge. Now you may be thinking, okay, but I mean, at least he's not going to get killed, right? I mean, that, that sounds like that's, a, that's pretty good, pretty good news. But what about the fact that this man had children and this man had a livelihood and he had friends that he would never see again? While he would not be killed, he must return to the city of refuge to live out the rest of his days. He's free to live there, but he cannot go free. The law requires an atonement, a ransom of equal value. No degree of money or property could suffice to satisfy the demand. So it's not like the man who had accidentally killed his neighbor could say, hey, look, I'm a rich man. I'm going to give you all this money, and that ought to, that ought to atone for what I did. No, that's not how the atonement would work. So what happens? The man returns to Bezer. He's not guilty of the accusation of intentional murder, but he's still in debt for the life that he took that day in the forest while cutting down an oak tree with his neighbor. He gets back to town. He starts to settle into the rhythm of life in exile. He's going to be exiled from the life that he had grown to know and that he loved. I assume he probably got to know some of the people in the other town, but can you imagine what type of people they are? I mean, who lives there? Priest and people that have been accused of murder. Some of which may actually be proven to be truly guilty of murder whenever their trial shows up. So here he is, he's going to live in this context and he's going to have to be there 
until the day he dies. He's going to have to think about what his family's doing. He's going to be living among people that had a similar story to his. They talk about life. They talk about what they did in their community. He tells his story. While my tribe, my people were shepherds, I was a woodworker. Something about the sheep, didn't really like them. He said, I would rather build fences with wood to keep the sheep in for you guys. I just don't want to tend them. He's a woodworker among shepherds. When he and his neighbors had gone to cut down that Tabor oak tree, he was building a new home for his daughter and her family. She had just had a baby, his first grandchild. He's going to build furniture for his neighbor's wife. He dreamed of the day of building that home for his daughter. But those dreams vanished with an instant. If you would grant me, they, they changed with one swing of a broken axe. His whole life vanishing before him. He was an innocent man living among a mix of innocent and guilty men from his homeland. His heart longed for home, but he was not free to return home. Four, had he returned home, he would have brought blood guilt upon his whole community, which is a big deal. So what do you do? Day after day, you work in that rhythm, the new normal. How many times have you heard that lately? Until one day, get this knock. This guy's like some of you, maybe like me. He's not a morning person. It's like, what in the world? Is... Oh, this better be worth it. When these dang shepherds better not be wanting me to build something here in this community. What in the world do they want? So he gets up from bed and he's tired and, and you know, they, they don't get to enjoy coffee, which was awful. So he walks up to the door and he goes, hey, 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 what? What's going on, man? He says, did, 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 did you hear the news? Uh, no, I was, I was asleep. I didn't hear, I didn't hear the news. <laughs> you have not heard the news? <sighs> no, I haven't. What's, what's, what's the news? And if it's not, it's not important, you know, remember why I'm here. Some of you got that. He goes, no, no, no. I've got incredible news for you. The high priest died last night in his sleep. He's like, Ugh. okay. It's the big deal about the high priest dying. That's unfortunate. I, I hate to hear that. Do we have to do something? Don't, don't, don't you know what that means, his friend says? So the man who's been waking from his sleep says, now, I don't know what it means, but you, you sure seem to be happy about it. What does it mean? The man asks, golly, you, you, you call yourself a, like a, a Jew. You don't remember what Moses taught about 
the high priest and the relationship that it had to the city of refuge? He goes, yeah, man, I, 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 I guess I forgot. I, I, I know the law of God, but there's some particulars that I'm not real sure on. I'm not an expert, so why don't, why don't you quit leading me along and tell me why this is such important good news? Or just let me go back to sleep. So perceiving the confusion, our, the man in our story, our man who killed his neighbor through the broken axe head, begins to listen to his new friend in Bezer, and the man tells him, Moses taught us that the accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may they return to their own property. And the man didn't have a response. Could you say that again? You said that if the high priest dies, everyone that has been held in captivity in cities of refuge separated from their family, they, they, they get to go home? Exasperated, he goes, yes, it's what, it's what Numbers 35, 26 through 28 says. Man, you get to go free. You get to go home. The high priest has died. We get to go home, man. His death functions like a ransom for those of us who've been trapped in this city of refuge. Bro, because the high priest has died, we are free to leave. And the man says, I got things I got to pack. <laughs> I get to go home. I get to see my daughter. I get to hold my, my, my grandchild. Maybe I can finally build that home that I've been wanting to build her. I thought I was going to be here till I died, but you mean to tell me someone else died so that I might go home, that I might be free? And he's wrestling and he's packing things up as quickly as he could. He can't wait to go home to see his wife play with his son in the yard. He did not believe he would ever receive his life back, but he was receiving it back. The Lord had provided a way for the man to be redeemed and set free, and he was not going to miss the chance. Not this time. This is what Deuteronomy 4, verses 41 through 43 in Numbers 35 teach us is that until a ransom can be paid for the life of the accused, the accused cannot go free. But if the high priest dies, all of those in the city of refuge can go home. Why? Because a life has paid their ransom. Some of you are thinking, what? does that have to do with me? 
Friends, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning in these laws regarding the cities of refuge, we will behold how God from the beginning was preparing to see how he would one day set us free, just like the man in our story. The reality is our story is a little different. Whereas this man was not guilty, we are. Scripture declares that we are all guilty of sin, and what our sin has earned is the wage of death. And we are all guilty. We deserve God's justice, but we have been offered God's grace because according to his word, the great high priest, Jesus Christ himself, came and died in our place to set us free. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter nine, verses 11 through 12. But when Christ came as high priest of the great things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. Jesus did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption for his people. Because Jesus, the great high priest, has died and rose again, you and I can go free today. Amen. We no longer have to live in the fear of judgment or the pain of guilt and condemnation because Jesus has done what we could not do in ourselves. Some of you think that you are going to have to live for the rest of your life in that city of shame that you have built because of the sin that you bear. And what has just happened this morning is I knocked on your door and I've told you there's really good news that the high priest is dead and that he rose again and that he has offered a sacrifice on your behalf so good that you can be set free, that you can go home. He has paid the ransom for our freedom. The only question that remains this morning is will you go free today? Will you ignore the knock at the door that has such good news to tell you about the freedom that has been procured for you by the death and resurrection of the Son of the living God? Will you leave the city of refuge that you have fled to in an attempt to escape the penalty of your sin and recognize this morning that the price of your freedom has been paid? You can go free today. You can walk out today. Actually, you don't even have to walk out. You can right where you're at receive freedom by embracing this Christ who paid Your debt is the high priest who the Son sets free 
is free indeed. Will you go free today? Would you pray with me? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.